0: South Florida has dodged a bullet with Hurricane Ian, and now the region gets ready to offer assistance. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Danny Rivero. Nearly 100 Miami-Dade fire rescue workers have been deployed to help search and rescue efforts on Florida's Gulf Coast after the devastation left by Hurricane Ian. And after the largest food bank in southwest Florida was heavily impacted, a Broward-based food bank steps in to fill the gap, also on the South Florida Roundup. How did the storm impact the Florida Keys? We talked to WLRN's incoming Keys reporter to get the lowdown. And what can the devastation on Florida's Gulf Coast tell us about the development patterns we have here in South Florida? All that and more on the South Florida Roundup from WLRN. I'm Danny Rivero. Welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. South Florida, or should I say, Southeast Florida, has been incredibly lucky this week. Just on the other side of the Everglades, Hurricane Ian pounded into Fort Myers and the Gulf Coast with almost Category 5 intensity. But with a few exceptions, Miami-Dade and Broward in particular were almost completely unscathed. That means for the time being, Southeast Florida is assuming the role of almost a staging ground for relief efforts. Lieutenant Alex Acosta of Miami-Dade Fire Rescue detailed the department's evacuations in the region early on.
1: Fortunately, uh, we were able to find a suitable landing zone and we started to evacuate people uh, initially. Uh, We ended up transporting uh, approximately 42 individuals and uh, several pets uh, from that area that we, uh, we encountered.
0: And we want to hear your experience with Hurricane Ian and your thoughts and concerns about the storm and the aftermath. You can call us at 800-743-WLRN. That's 800-743-9576. And you can also tweet us at WLRN. Joining us now to talk about this is the chief of Miami-Dade Fire Rescue, Ray Jadulla. And also joining us is Paco Velez, the CEO and president of the food bank Feeding South Florida. Ray and Paco, thanks for coming on.
2: Thank you so much.
0: So, Ray, this week you announced that 96 members of Miami-Dade Fire Rescue have been dispatched to the most impacted areas in Southwest Florida. Who are these members and what kind of help are they bringing to that area? Uh, Chief, are are you with us? um Chief J- Jadella uh we're, we're we're trying to connect I think um Paco is that you on the line that I hear
2: yes it is how you doing
0: <laughs> I'm doing great sorry about that um we'll start with you while we try to get the chief on the line um sure. so so feeding South Florida has stepped in to bring food to the needy in Southwest Florida can you give us a little bit of details about what your organization is doing exactly
2: Sure. So, thank you for for the opportunity to share. Uh, we are working with our state association feeding Florida, as well as our our national association feeding America, and we're assessing the situation in in Southwest Florida. Uh, we're working with our sister food bank on the ground, Harry Chapin Food Bank, that has facilities both in in uh, in Fort Myers and Naples, and and we're uh, getting them up and running and and providing food. Uh, to make sure that they're serving the families in need, we've uh, yesterday we shipped over a, a a tractor trailer load full of of, of meals ready to eat or MREs, um, along with some water and uh, some some ready to eat snacks. Today we shipped over our our 500 kilowatt generator to get their Naples facility up and running. They do have their Fort Myers facility up and running. And uh, we send some additional food and, and, and snacks to make sure that uh, any any families that are being evacuated or sent to an evacuation center uh, have those meals, or any of the other folks that are staying at home just don't have any power, have meals that are ready to ready to eat without any kind of food preparation necessary. We are standing by. Uh, we may have to send additional resources along with our sister food banks uh, in Sarasota, Tampa, and Orlando, who are all ready uh, to 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 deploy. Uh, additional tractor trailers to to help move product around in the affected area, as well as additional staff members uh, that will stay there for for multiple weeks to add um, additional uh, hands to be able to not only uh, work the warehouse, but also transport product to and from different areas in Southwest Florida.
0: And Chief Jadella, I believe you're back on the line. Welcome to the South Florida Roundup. Thank you. So, Chief, this week you announced that 96 members of Miami-Dade Fire Rescue have been dispatched to the most impacted areas in southwest Florida. Can you tell us a little bit about who these members are and what kind of help they're bringing to the area?
1: So, uh, our members are part of Miami-Dade Fire Rescue. Uh, They include uh, firefighter paramedics, structural engineers, doctors, uh, search and rescue personnel. Um, you know, they they come from uh, all kinds of backgrounds, and most of our structural engineers are civilian uh, individuals. And uh, just recently, um, you know, just as Paco had mentioned, additional resources uh, continue to be requested. So we've also deployed uh, three engine companies, even fire dispatchers uh, that take 911 calls have been sent to uh, augment the, the first responders and resources on the West Coast.
0: And... Chief, what, what what kind of equipment are they bringing? We we heard from a lieutenant a little bit earlier who is who is mentioning that they're doing some some air rescues even with with helicopters. Is that right?
1: That that is correct. So uh, Miami Dade Fire Rescue has been tasked with all kilo operations along the Barrier Islands. As he had mentioned earlier, yesterday alone we removed uh, we extracted forty two occupants and uh, and pets from uh, the Barrier Islands. Uh, This morning's uh, intel report that was given to me, they returned back to the barrier islands to begin the uh, extraction of additional individuals. And from what I understand, one one of the harder hit areas, I believe uh, Pine Island, um, is requesting over 100 uh, occupants to be extracted from the island. In regards to our equipment, uh, you know, we're self-sustainable for 14 days. You know, we don't want to become a burden. That's how, you know, the search teams operate. Uh, that includes our own food, our own sleeping area, communication, everything that you could think of from A to Z. So we came with boats, uh, high-water vehicles, um, uh, extrication equipment. And the extrication equipment are, are are items that are utilized to make entry into the homes, especially the uh, homes that are fortified.
0: And, Paco, I want to bring you back into it. You mentioned the, the food bank, the, the Harry Chapin Food Bank which is the largest hunger relief network in Southwest Florida. And you all at Feeding South Florida are in some ways helping relieve them. What can you tell us about the status of the Harry Chapin Food Bank and and how they're doing?
2: Well as a chief shared I mean the first the first priority is life safety right we want to make sure folks are are safe um and, and in a place where they're no longer in danger Harry Chapin Food Bank has two two uh two facilities one in Fort Myers which is operational um, and then the one in in Naples which is uh which does not have power so that's why we've sent our generator over there some of their team just like other other citizens in Southwest Florida are uh, dealing with their own situations at home, whether it's flooding or or roof blown off or some other situation at home, so we want to provide as much reinforcement as we can. Uh, we are um, first and foremost making sure that their families and their loved ones are safe, um, and then we'll we'll come in with whatever uh, whatever resources they need. For now, they're they're up and running and they're responding to the to to families in need. We're just providing additional support and 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 waiting to to backfill. Uh, some of the team in case they do go into 24-hour shifts and, and need additional support to, to to, move product from one place to the other.
0: And, Chief, when it comes to the Miami-Dade Fire Rescue and, and their current mission, is there any timetable at all that's been considered for, for how long Miami-Dade Fire Rescue might be on the scene offering assistance?
1: So typically when we get our uh, orders, uh, usually for 14 days, uh, they can be extended or they can return the personnel only to be augmented with fresh crews. Uh, we saw this during Hurricane Katrina. Uh, we deployed uh, for 14 days, returned back uh, the the 80 individuals that were deployed to Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana, only to send another 80 the very following day to begin operations um, after the water had uh, recited, or receded. I suppose
0: I'm Danny Rivero. You're listening to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're talking with Miami-Dade Fire Rescue Chief Ray Jadala and CEO of the Food Bank Feeding South Florida about the role Southeast Florida is playing in recovery efforts in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. You can call us at 800-743-WLRN. Again, that's 800-743-9576. Um, WLRN this morning spoke with Mike Nugent who's the division chief of the special operations command for the Broward Sheriff Fire Rescue and he talked about how Broward County is helping with the situation
1: in southwest Florida Um, they're dealing with people that have lost everything they own Um, that in itself is a very difficult deployment I I was deployed with the task force to Charlie um, which was a a tenth of the size of of this storm, and it takes a special type of individual to, to deal with with these people that have they've lost everything. They're looking through their rubble to find whatever they have left. So you, you need quite a bit of compassion, and empathy uh, to go there and and to help these people out. They need help. They need a lot of help.
0: Certainly, a lot of Compassion and empathy is motivating everyone that that we're talking to and and what they're doing. Pa- Paco, I want to ask you because a lot of our listeners might be listening and wondering how they can actually help in the the mission that Feeding South Florida is currently um, undertaking. Um, how can our listeners potentially help with donations of food, monetary donation, donations, etc.?
2: So the first thing is. Uh... WLRN has been an amazing partner with Feeding South Florida over the years uh, regardless of of any kind of crisis that's going on we appreciate uh, the listeners and and their support south florida as a community has been amazing um and regardless of of the uh, the the government shutdown Irma the pandemic we just get great support volunteers and monetary so um one thing the chief mentioned is we don't want to be a burden to 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 the, to the southwest region um, we want to make sure that we're coordinating efforts and we're not just inundating them with with additional food, clothing. So there's a coordinated effort. Uh, Emergency operations centers or EOCs are, are on the ground and they're providing um, real-time updates. And so whenever they provide those updates, we respond with uh, accordingly since we sit at the state level EOC and we're part of the Miami-Dade EOC as well so the best way for folks to get involved is really to go to our website uh, make a monetary monetary donation so we can help get food uh from where it is to where it needs to go in the southwest region and if folks want to come out and volunteer yeah just go to our website feeding dot um and, and uh there's there's uh, sign up to volunteer or sign up to to make a monetary gift
0: and and, and chief you you mentioned when you announced this deployment of the 96 members of Miami-Dade Fire Rescue earlier this week, that last year, after the collapse of the Champlain Tower South Building and Surfside, your department received help from all over the country and even from places as far as Mexico and Israel. How important is this kind of mutual assistance when it comes to to, to major disasters anywhere?
1: So, you know, You know, first, is, first things first, and, and it's just in our, in our blood, um, you know, providing, you know, public service. You know, you, you pay it forward, you know, a hundredfold. And, you know, the, one of the biggest things that, you know, residents that encounter devastation, they want to get back to healing. They want to get back to recovery. And what we're trying to do here is get, you know, most of the individuals that we can uh, to that area. In regards to healing and recovery, now you know I'm not, you know I'm not, you know naive to the situation that this is going to be a very long process. Uh, we've seen the devastation coming out on video. We've seen it on, on you know media. Um, it's going to take a long time to rebuild. You know the the that West Coast, especially the areas that have been hit with uh, the water surge. Um, you know it, it's absolutely necessary us to continue to provide the assistance you know to not just to our communities um, locally but also you know in the state and the country and of course you know across the world uh, we were the recipients of it and you know again we're paying it forward a hundred times over
0: we've been talking with miami-dade fire rescue chief rej and the ceo of the food bank feeding south florida about the role that southeast florida's paying playing in recovery efforts in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. Uh, Chief and Paco, many thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Still to come on the South Florida Roundup, we'll talk about the impact Hurricane Ian left in the Florida Keys. You can call us at 800-743-WLRN. That's 800-743-9576. I'm Danny Rivero. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Before Hurricane Ian strengthened into a Category 4, almost Category 5 storm, it impacted the Florida Keys, which got a major hit from Hurricane Irma in 2017. And what is the track of this storm and the explosion of intensity it saw when it got into the Gulf of Mexico? Tell us about the future of storms in Florida. And for this segment, we want to hear from you, our listeners. You can call us at 800-743-WLRN. That's 800-743-9576. And you can also tweet us at WLRN. Joining us to talk about this is Gwen Filosa, the incoming Florida Keys reporter for WLRN. And we're also joined by Megan Borowski of the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network. Gwen and Megan, thanks so much for joining.
3: Thanks for having me. Hello.
0: Thanks for having me. So Gwen, let's start with you. You you wrote out the storm in Key West, a place with a lot of experience with storms and storm surge. What was it like down down there this week?
4: I mean, this week it's it's almost as if you know Key West residents are living in different worlds. Like the very next day. Um, Duval street was open with bars and even some t-shirt shops were open there there are tourists here even though it's slow season and just a couple blocks away more than 125 homes in Bahama village the historic neighborhood took on uh, three and a half to over four feet of water um, those homes are flooded a lot of them are public housing apartments and their people lost their belongings um, and there are people living in those uh, those apartments, public housing, because they have nowhere else to go. And there's other areas of the town, uh, new town where I live, people, um, people got flooded and v- various degrees of loss. Like I got a few inches in my apartment. It, I'm just going to clean it out and throw away things that probably should have been thrown away anyway. But um, then I wrote it out in a neighborhood in Old Town. It, it, today, it, it, the very next day, it's like it never happened. So we have like, you know, Maybe 150 couple hundred people dealing with loss and and, and uh water damage and losing all their stuff and Then you have a lot of the other city that it it's as if it didn't happen
0: And and those those people you were just talking about in in Bahama village that had their their homes truly flooded um, Where are they at, at the moment? Have are they, are they staying in place? Have they been moved? Are they going somewhere else?
4: I mean some are staying with neighbors um a friend of mine did write it out there the water didn't get into her home because it's raised but it, 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 we're talking four feet of water that people were watching um creep up and uh what i saw uh right after the storm people they're just Key West people you know all floridians all floridians they they know what to do they're pulling out the ruined furniture they're they are grabbing the wet the dry backs and they're just digging out in my neighborhood Yesterday, people, stuff was, uh, debris was piled up uh, neatly and, and, and people were just doing what they had to do. But yes, there there's just different worlds down here, as it always is with storms. And there are people here that will tell you, you know, we didn't get a tropical storm. This was hurricane level flooding and, and winds. Um, parts of the other keys, uh, up to five feet of uh, flooding, of course. Um, but it's just different neighborhoods. It's very similar to Irma in 2017, where Key West was spared. And it just, I, I, I can relate to where you just, you're not feeling it. So you're like, oh, the Big Pine Key was devastated in parts of uh, the Upper Keys.
0: Right. And and there was a fire on Flagler Avenue in, in Key West where where 40 people, I believe, lost their homes. Um, <laughs> is, is there any update on what caused that fire or what's going on with those people?
4: Yes, those were... Um, Actually, there were condos that were uh, above um, a bunch of shops. The whole building was just tore apart and destroyed by this huge fire that started at like 5.30 a.m. Somehow no one was injured, according to um, police. Um, There's no cause right now. Sometimes that can take like a couple of weeks for them to even, uh, for the fire marshal to report it. Um, But yeah, people lost everything. um, And uh, someone had just bought a home there. Um, but, the, uh, yeah, about 40 people are, are not, are staying somewhere else and dealing with that loss. And that was going on while Flagler Avenue was on, was impassable because of the flood. The wow. firefighters were amazing.
0: And Megan, I want to bring you into this. Um, sure. can, can you tell us a little bit, just zo- zooming out in scope a, a tiny bit, can you tell us a little bit about the sheer size of this storm? Because when you look at the yeah. storm on the map, you I mean, it looked yeah. like almost the entire state of Florida was affected in some way.
3: Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. There were a couple things going on. We did have a stalled front over North Florida. So that was contributing to the, uh, the look of the size of the storm. But it, it was hundreds of miles in diameter. Um, you know, we, we had tropical storm force winds uh, extending. Uh, about 100 miles out from the center give or take um don't don't quote me on that exact number but but also as ian weakened um overnight wednesday into thursday the wind field expanded um the text from the national hurricane center yesterday said that uh tropical storm force winds spread out 400 miles from the center of the storm it's just a massive wind field now that contracted after um, after the storm re-intensified into a hurricane but this thing had a, a great reach, and, and part of it, again, is because there was a drop of low pressure and a surface front uh, that was interacting with it.
0: And there were several tornadoes confirmed by the National Weather Service in, in Broward County, Palm Beach, and Miami-Dade. And, right. and some of them left considerable damage and sent people to the hospital even. How normal is, is something like that so far from the storm center?
3: So it's actually pretty typical to to have the outer bands are the ones that spawn tornadoes, and, and that's what we saw um, in along the gold like the Gold Coast. I, I was just looking up uh, some data from the National Weather Service in Miami, and it looks like there's seven confirmed tornadoes right now, and I believe they're still doing some some storm surveys. Uh, but we did have a pretty strong one. It was an EF two um, in uh, near FAU in Boca, um, and it had a seven mile path stopped at uh, the villages of Oriel. Winds up to 130 miles an hour from that one. And that was on uh, September 27th. So if I look at my calendar, gosh, that was Tuesday. So that was as Ian was uh, making its way into the, the uh, Eastern Gulf of Mexico. And Typically, we will see those those tornadoes spinning up far from the center of the storm, and that's because of the rotation of the tropical cyclone. And, you know, also um, when you look at tornado trends from tropical cyclones, um, there's several papers that have been published out there. Um, And, you know, Ian's track, um, you know, moving generally uh, from from uh, southwest to northeast, uh, it seems like that is favorable for tornado genesis in these outer bands. So it looks like um, you know pretty typical from Ian. Although the the strength of that one tornado uh, by FAU, the the EF two, that's pretty strong. Generally, the the tornadoes that are spawned are are quickly um, initiated. They quickly lift up off the ground and they're they're not as strong. So that was one of the anomalies from this system.
0: I see, and. G- Gwen, let me come back to you um, about about how things played out in the Florida Keys. Um, apart from the fl- from the flooding and storm surge, a lot of people lost power, right? With you know, there were, we, we, I saw over nine thousand outages reported. Uh, has that power yes. been restored at this point?
4: Yes, to my knowledge, people are back on with power, but there were some people that waited uh, extra long in comparison. Some people it just went out for twenty minutes. It flickered a lot here, but we. I, I don't know how we didn't lose power, but in Bahama village, uh, a friend of mine didn't have power until yesterday afternoon. Um, there were very different, um, you know, issues going on, but without that power, you're losing everything in your fridge or your, um, but there's some weird things going on. Like, a uh, one person said that he went to turn on his stove yesterday, the other day, and the floor got hot. I mean, just have to there's a lot going on with this, this damage, and um, uh, but the, the power outages, uh, they didn't affect everyone. Keys Energy has about 30,000 customers in the lower Keys, so about 10,000 did lose power. But um, it, you know, it it's all relative. It, it gets really hot really fast here without right. air conditioning.
0: I'm Danny Rivero. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN, and we're talking about the impact of Hurricane Ian in the, in the Florida Keys and about the sheer size and intensity of the storm. We're speaking with incoming WLRN Keys reporter Gwen Filosa, and also Megan Borowski of the of the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network, and you can join in. You can call us at 800-743-WLRN. Again, that's 800-743-9576. Megan, the the storm this week coincided with King Tide, when water levels hit the highest point in the year. And that meant that some coastal areas of South Florida, even places here in Miami, Miami Beach, et cetera, were seeing flooding far from the storm center. Um, with high tides expected to keep getting higher due to climate change and sea level rise, is this changing how coastal areas look at storms and prepare for storms for these for these large events?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not an emergency manager, but I I would certainly think that, um, you know, it is it is a factor that we obviously have to consider. And, you know, as as more development happens along the coastline, we're going to see more more flooding and more reports of damage due to flooding. Um, you know, it's just a result of taking away the uh, permeable surfaces. Of, you know, and, and taking away our, our natural barriers to, to floodwaters, and we're replacing that with development. And um, you know, that's going to lead to damage. So, it's it's an evolving uh, an evolving issue that I'm, I'm sure developers, uh, city planners, emergency managers do need to seriously look at um, as as the environment continues to change.
0: And, and Gwen down in the Florida Keys, um, can you tell us how King Tide has impacted things this week and even beyond?
4: Yes, um, these seasonal tides are already problematic. In, in without storms, and the salt water is going to ruin your car. Um, you, you don't want it near you, and um, the storm surge was on top of that. So when they kept saying one to three feet, two to five feet above. The highest tides—they mean the king tides.
0: And and Gwen, in the moving out from the the Lower Keys, how are the Upper Keys faring? Places like like Key Largo.
4: Yeah, there's a Key Largo neighborhood um, that just always gets hit, but hardly hardest hit. Um, with the water, I believe, still receding, and the, there were crocodiles. Uh, reports of crocodiles swimming in that uh, myopic blood where you can't tell where there's where there's you know streets or homes you can't you just can't see it's all water and um yeah people were having to you know worry about staying away from crocodiles as they're wading through so there's a, a lot of damage um in the upper keys that in Key Largo area
0: at least hmm. and in in Key West uh, a, a shelter was opened at at Key West High School right um can, is there any updates on that?
4: Yes, it was uh, supposed to close um, yesterday, but about 120 people and a few dogs and pets rode out the storm there. And of course, that's Flagler Avenue, which was a river, you know, compared, it was flooded out. It was actually the city closed Flagler after the storm for at least a day because it just was impassable. Um, the homeless shelter here, the city closed its homeless shelter because it is prone to flooding and it was monroe county emergency management um of course it's that's a school district property they they made it happen and opened up this uh this shelter that was really needed and um people people uh, that were reported safe um but it's a those are often looked at as shelters of last resort um to open those schools because when it hits a uh, category one or two they they want people to leave
0: and megan to bring you back into it um as we're watching as, as we have been watching this storm, now it's passed through Florida. Um, a lot of people were drawing comparisons to the track that, that Hurricane Ian this week took compared to Hurricane Charlie um, more than a decade ago. Is have, have we been learning anything about just the general track of storms over the last decade or so coming through Florida?
3: Well, I mean, there's... Um you know there's always research going in on tropical cyclones and something that we have to think about is um, it it really depends on the steering patterns in the mid and upper levels of the atmosphere um, and that's really what's going to steer these storms and also the intensity of the storm itself determines which level of the atmosphere is actually going to steer these storms. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, comparisons out there as well on, on Charlie and it seems like Ian is taking a similar path although it's jogging now to the to the north northwest, um, and it's going to cut into into South Carolina, and move over uh, western North Carolina and Virginia before being sucked back east. So similar, not exactly um, the, the same, but you know we do have a subtropical high pressure area that generally tends to guide these systems and give them that hook to parallel the U.S. East Coast.
0: And Gwen. Like like I mentioned, you know, the the keys suffered greatly from Hurricane Irma in twenty seventeen. There was a lot of money that 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 came into the keys to help rebuild and uh, um, change things in in ways that, you know, the federal government and the state government hoped would be helpful. Um, How are the keys generally doing? I mean, you all, for the most part, it could have been much worse in in the in the keys, this one. but is the keys more ready for us for a heavy storm now than it was five years ago when when Irma hit?
4: Yeah, I mean that's the that's the question, right? Like, um, and I, I can't give you a definitive answer. I think um, a lot of you know, millions of dollars of improvement just at like parks and recreation areas. Some of them just got done um, not too long ago. I mean, you know, so so it looks it looks new and better. Um, as far as you know, road elevation and such, I, I don't know. I think um, I do know people who have, you know, installed, you know, windows that can take a beating, uh, doors and such. But it's it's such a fragile area anyway, and I'm not sure if 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 people are maybe more prepared, or uh, I, I would say people are more prepared. But Key West, you know, the the city down here uh, hasn't really. Seen anything like this in many years? It's almost like Ian kind of made up for for lost time.
0: So, so even so, the the impact of of Ian just just the flooding was worse than than what Key West has seen in a long time. You're saying?
4: Yes, I mean Irma um really hit the, the uh, Big Pine Key, which is about 30 miles up from from us and Marathon took flooding in right? Upper Keys. Uh, Kajo is where it made landfall, correct? And um, these uh, up, parts of the Upper Keys and uh, the city of Marathon and the Middle Keys took on a lot of water and dealt with a lot of strife. But in Key West, it just, um, excuse me, <clears throat> in Key West, it just looked like, you know, just some trees down and such. So it wasn't, again, it's, it's even I can, can have to make myself think, okay, Irma was a disaster for many people in the Keys. Um, But uh, for Key West, Key West hasn't dealt like with anything like this in in years and years.
0: Gwen Filosa is the incoming Florida Keys reporter for WLRN and Megan Borowski is with the Florida Public Radio Emergency Network. Gwen and Megan, thank you both so much for coming on.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Still to come on the South Florida Roundup, what Florida's long history of building booms followed by hurricane busts tells us about what's coming? You can call us at 800-743-WLRN. I'm Danny Rivero. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Florida has a long history of real estate speculation and investment. Besides tourism, real estate is one of the main drivers of the Florida economy. But building booms have historically been met with busts because of devastation left by major hor- by major hurricanes. Joining us now to talk about these how these cycles have helped us get better at keeping people safe, but also enabled us to put more people at risk, is WLRN's environmental editor, Jenny Stiletovic. Jenny, thanks for coming on.
5: Hi, thanks, Danny.
0: And we want to hear from you, our listeners, on this topic. You can call us at 800-743-WLRN. That's 800-743-9576. And you can tweet us at WLRN. So Jenny, first off, I want to acknowledge that this can kind of be an uncomfortable conversation, especially considering the damage that was just left behind by Hurricane Ian on the Gulf Coast. But it really is an important conversation to have as we start to think about rebuilding and even about the existing risk in areas that were not hit hard by Hurricane Ian.
5: For sure. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and I just wanted to acknowledge that before we get in. Right. Um, so to get started, I, I want to step back for a little bit. Can you give us a brief history of really the some, some of the major storms that have hit South Florida and how they started to change the built environment here?
5: Right. So, I mean, the, our, our, a lot of our infrastructure, flood control protection especially, is a result of these storms. Um, I think the first big example that I can think of is the Okeechobee hurricane in 1928. At that time, there was only an earthen dam around Lake Okeechobee. That that um, hurricane hit, breached the, the this dike that was around the, the lake and caused horrific flooding. 2,500 people were killed. And in response to that, um, Congress and the U.S. built a harder, hardened the the levee, the dam around around the lake. Um, Jump forward twenty years, there was another terrible hurricane, and that led to the Central and South Florida Flood Control System, which is our huge regional flood system that we have in place now um, that controls uh, flooding for our area. I mean, it's also the thing that's targeted for Everglades restoration. Um, There are other examples. Hurricane Andrew, we redid our our building code in South Florida, Miami-Dade County, that led to, like, changes nationwide because of the fierce winds in Hurricane Andrew. So you can just see time and time again um, where we have these horrific storms and there is a response to it. Now we have another horrific storm.
0: Right. And... Thank you for that crash course. We have a caller, Michelle calling from Sugarloaf key. Actually, Michelle, thanks for calling. You're you're on the line.
6: Okay, great. Can you hear me? All right. Right behind top gun base. And sometimes it, yes, yes, we
0: can. (laughs) Yes, we can. You're on the line. And I think we just lost Michelle. (laughs) So we'll, we'll continue down. Um, so, so Jenny, you you were you were mentioning how this history of storms helped create the flood management systems that we have. How over time has that contributed to how South Florida in particular has been built out? Like where people live, where businesses are.
5: Well, it's it's a two pronged or multi pronged approach. Actually, I mean, we have our response to these disasters and how we rebuild in a way that protects developed areas more. At the same time, the state has gone back and forth recognizing areas that are vulnerable and where we should build and where we shouldn't build. Um, It was sort of unchecked um, in the early, you know, when we after the flood control system was put in place in the '40s and you had uh, drainage allowed uh, growth to expand. by the 1970s, we were the fastest growing state in the nation. Um, And as Everybody realized, or not everybody, that at the time, lawmakers and the and the and the, the governance of the state realized we needed to do something to control that growth. We were having sprawl nationwide. There was a, a movement toward um, urban, better urban planning, not allowing urban sprawl. Uh, Florida was a little late to that game, uh, but picked it up in the 1970s and started creating these suites of of growth management laws that were designed to, you know. Um, focus growth in urban areas. Make sure we had affordable housing. Make sure that we had enough public facilities in place to accommodate people and make their lives nice <laughs> at parks and things like that. Um, and so that 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 was in place through the '70s and continued through through the '80s and even the early '90s.
0: And you've done a lot of reporting, including just very recently, about the some of the development that's taken place especially in South Miami-Dade County post Hurricane Andrew 30 years ago um what have researchers told you about some of the development patterns that we're seeing about where a lot of new homes are are being built in South Dade
5: well, uh, this isn't so much from researchers. We had we did this project on storm surge and, and growth after Hurricane Andrew, and the University of Florida supplied the data, but then we we analyzed it to figure out like where this growth was happening. And we found that the numbers in, in southern Miami-Dade County, uh, the area where Hurricane Andrew hit, had grown exponentially um, since that, that hurricane. And in a way, that was a lesson that was not learned. Um, or I should say, you know, the focus was on the wind damage. So so these areas were rebuilt um, stronger against wind, but nothing was done to really handle this uh, the, the flood threat, which we see is getting worse. And as warnings grew, as we became more aware of the impacts from climate change, there were more warnings issued. We just have kept um, developing in these areas and putting a lot more people at risk.
0: And when, when it comes to building infrastructure to help with the kind of water intrusion that we're talking about storm surge what can be done
5: well so we're starting to come to terms with that now i mean the part of the problem is it's a little after the fact the threat is already here but the water management district is going through and looking at its coastal structures that have pumps and keep canals, lower canal levels, so they can make room for floodwaters um, that also, you know, they gauge saltwater intrusion because, you know, water has to stay at a certain level in a canal to keep the saltwater from coming in. The Army Corps of Engineers has a massive back bay plan that they're trying to come up with ways to, to mitigate the storm surge that we saw hit the southwest coast. We could face the same terrible thing. The project that we did, in fact, re-examined Hurricane Irma and looked at what the Irma storm surge would look like if it came across Biscayne Bay. Fortunately, um, we are protected by a coastal ridge and the middle to northern parts of Biscayne Bay. Um, and when the h- Hurricane Center did that forecasting for us or that modeling for us, they found it was the beyond below the ridge, below Cutler uh, Bay, where flooding from storm surge made its way miles more inland if you add sea level rise on top of a hurricane today.
0: And and ju- just to help our listeners fully understand, the, 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 the coastal ridge is- off the coast, underwater, kind of the the formations under the water that, in some ways, impact the. No, Stars no. Ridge. So
5: I'm talking about the high, the coastal, the old okay. coral ridge that runs along from you know the Miami River on down. It's if you're driving through Coconut Grove along Bayshore, you right. can see you know right the ridge. <laughs> Apologies, that's why I'm trying, I'm trying <laughs> to right. to clarify.
0: Um, so the, you know, jumping ac- across to the to Southwest Florida, what we saw this week. Um, are there any geological features that they had that might have put them more at risk for for, for the kind of storm surge that we saw just sweeping across the, mass areas?
5: Yes, absolutely. The Gulf Coast is the most vulnerable to storm surge um, in the state of Florida because the Gulf is a flat, you know, e- it is a flat shelf along the coast. So when storm surge starts, hurricane starts pushing it ashore, It can just it's like a snowball it can get bigger and bigger and bigger as you go across that flat shelf that's one of the hurricane center guys explained it to me that way we on the other hand um, are off the atlantic coast and the water of the shelf you know drops down we've got the gulf stream it gets very deep very quickly so the, the the chances of storms we get storm surge but over on the Gulf, because it's so flat, um, it's just tremendous. And also when you think about those estuaries over there and you think about Charlotte Harbor and Tampa Bay around Everglades City, it is a frayed coast full of islands. All those little barrier islands and inlets over there, they are just pathways for a storm surge. So it is incredibly vulnerable over there.
0: And we have Michelle calling from Sugarloaf Key back on the line. Michelle, wel- welcome back. We hear you. <laughs>
6: Good. All right. I'm just going to say real quickly I'm like a, a little round treehouse On the street in Sugarloaf And we get hit every storm And they start out to come over And then they're not here Like rebuild Florida, left the building We're still waiting But we, it's the same scenario It goes up, but goes through Cuba And I always tell my people outside of Florida Let me know when it leaves Cuba Because that's when we've got to sit and get there everything taken care of and shut the doors. And that's exactly what happened. Came through, 140, and then the the, uh, surge, then the tornadoes, I call them the little brats of the the, um, storm, and that happens all night long. And then everything just switches around, and it's like Irma never left the building, and neither did the, um, the rebuild Florida. So those of us that are still waiting in Florida are still here and we got hit again and I don't know what happens, but they just seem to think we're fine and we're not fine. And
0: <laughs> I mean th- thank you for your call and I, I I'm, I'm sorry to hear of how things are can, can you just give us a little description of what things look like on the Sugarloaf Key right now?
6: Okay well everybody's really good we picked up everything we needed to pick up the coconuts the palm fronds and I really haven't been able to get off the street um, like since the storm because I was battening down the hatches and I was clearing the streets, so we didn't hurt any transportation coming up and down. And everybody just, uh, nobody comes here for us, so we just keep going about our business and picking up the street and calling <laughs> Tallahassee, and there we go. I just don't know why it's so hard to get somebody to come and check on it.
0: Well, well, a lot of people are listening to your to your call for help right now, and uh, Michelle, I really appreciate your your call and for listening to WLRN. Jenny, do you have something to add? Well,
5: I mean, Sugarloaf is one of the lowest areas in the Keys. It is one of the most vulnerable to to flooding. So when a storm surge comes through, Sugarloaf always gets hit hard. Key West is high, Key Largo at the other end, except for pockets of Key Largo. But, you know, you had an old reef track that sank down and came back up. So so they do every every storm, I think, are just really vulnerable to flooding.
0: And Jenny, going back to some of what we were talking about just a little bit ago, um It sounds like, you know, over the these multiple cycles of storms and rebuilding, we've gotten a lot better at keeping people safe. Um, But because we've gotten better at keeping people safe, we're kind of counterintuitively putting people in dangerous areas because we, we know we can keep them safe, but the property is not necessarily safe.
5: Right. The property is not safe. I mean, I think that the, the Okeechobee storms are a perfect example. You, if we hit 2,500 fatalities, that would be awful and stunning. Um, we have gotten way better at, um, at warnings, the uh, hurricane centers, uh, the, the forecasts they put out have gotten more accurate. So, so the, the, the risks to, to, to life, um, people, the fatalities are down. But yeah, it, it makes it seem safer but the safety is in the warnings not in 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 the location I'm, i don't know if i'm explaining that very well but yeah we make it look easier in a way and um and 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 i think that we need to think big picture about the cost of that and do we really want to make it easy to live in places where the recovery is so so expensive if we look at the insurance crisis you know, that's just wind insurance. If A lot of people don't have flood insurance because the FEMA mapping, uh, I just looked up Lee County, their, their new FEMA maps aren't effective until November of this year, so next month. That means a lot of people are not covered by that insurance, flood insurance requirement and don't have flood insurance. Where, how are they gonna rebuild? The, the, the emergency response that FEMA provides is only for temporary fixes, the long-term fixes
0: yeah. I mean, this reminds me of something a disaster researcher told me in 2020, and she told me, you know, disaster experts don't use the word natural disaster anymore. And she said it's because of all these social, political, and engineering decisions in the past and sometimes in the in the present that we're putting people at risk because we're almost encouraging reckless behavior.
5: Well, and I think Ian showed, too, that the, the fixes that we put in place, the infrastructure, the causeway to Sanibel washed out. You know, when you look at the road damage, it, 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 we're putting fixes in place, and they are not keeping up with the pace of climate change, basically. We have not kept up, and now we're retroactively trying to make all these repairs at the same time we're getting hit by more intense hurricanes. So we just we really need to, I think, rethink where we want to pay for risk
2: right
0: I mean a a big question hanging in the air is like what does sustainable development look like in a place like Florida where you know you're going to have to rebuild and potentially rebuild in areas that you know are going to get hit again right
5: right and what are we telling the public and by by putting these places and putting these things in place and then they have a storm like this and you know there are real humans who've lost everything you know they're walking into their houses and and everything is not just a TV everything is family pictures you know the things that matter to them are gone and and we've built these communities kind of telling them it'll be okay especially when we have people coming from out of state who don't really have a good idea of never lived through a hurricane before and may not fully comprehend what total loss means. I mean, it's it's a horrible, for anybody who's been through a hurricane, it is a horrible, horrible experience when they're as bad as Ian is, as bad as Irma was. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's life altering.
0: And just quickly, we only got a little bit more, but what, what are you gonna be paying attention to in particular in the, in the, the days and the weeks to come?
5: Well, for the time being I'm looking at where waters receding like where the where the flood waters are and where they're going out big picture I'm looking at how we respond to this and what what changes will we do a central and South Florida flood control I mean will we do sort of that massive response is this going to shift um, the shift things substantially or is it just going to be we've had how many, four, five major hurricanes come through the Gulf and how have we responded to those? Will this be um, the thing that, that pivots things?
0: Jenny Silatovich is WLRN's environmental editor. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. And that'll do it for the South Florida Roundup this Friday. The South Florida Roundup is produced by Natu Twe. Our engagement editor is Katie Cohen. Our interim managing editor is Katie Munoz. Jessica Bakeman is a senior, new, a senior editor of news. Christine DiMattei is the interim newscast editor. Mateo Sanchez is digital editor. The director of radio operations and the show's technical supervisor is Peter J. Mares. Richard Ives answers the phones and does a lot more than that too. I'm Danny Rivero. Thank you so much for calling and listening.
1: WLRN Public Media.